This is the MagicWordPodcast.com. Hello, this is Scott Wells for the MagicWordPodcast.com. This week's episode is brought to you by Poe's Magic Conference. That's coming up on August the 24th through the 27th in Baltimore, Maryland. This is a wonderful time for people to get together and learn how to present your magic with real stories that will move people. I know that you'll enjoy it. For more information, be sure to check out the Magic Convention Guide. There will be a link there where that you can go and visit the website to register and find out more information. Later on in this program, we'll have just a couple of minutes. We'll take a break and talk with the organizer, Vince Wilson. This week is also brought to you by the Friends of the Magic Word. This week, we want to welcome our newest friend of the Magic Word, that is Martin Harry Cohen. Thank you, Martin, very much for your donation using PayPal. It is very much appreciated. We also want to extend our appreciation to all the rest of those in the past who have donated and pledged and to help keep this podcast going. I really enjoy it, but it is a financial drain, and so anything that you can help with is certainly going to keep us going and show that you really are putting your money where your ears are, so to speak. And thank you again. I appreciate that. And I do want to say, if you have the ability financially to pledge or on a monthly basis, or perhaps give a one-time donation or perhaps an ongoing donation from time to time, an irregular or whenever that you can, all you have to do is go to the magicwordpodcast.com. There you will see a tab that you can click on that will say, become a friend of the Magic Word. And you will see a video and tell you why it is that we could use your support. Any and all donations and pledges certainly help. Our guest today is Andy Gladwin, who is no stranger to the magic community by any means, and even though he has just turned 40 years old, he has been around for a number of years and has contributed so much, including, of course, as you may know him, as being the co-owner of Vanishing Inc. along with Joshua J., and also the co-organizer of the session in England as well as Magi Fest over here in the U.S., and he also is uh, someone who had a best-selling book called The Boy Who Cried Magic and also has Fool, Pin, and Teller. He has just uh, done so much, and uh, I have so much respect for this uh, young man. And I know that if you have not heard him anywhere else, you will learn a lot about him and some interesting stories he hasn't really shared anywhere else uh, on this particular podcast. And I say that because he has been around quite a bit, and for so long, he has been the subject of several other podcasts out there and YouTube videos. It doesn't take uh, very much of a search in order for you to find other things. So one thing that I try to do with this particular podcast is just to chat with friends and uh, to have perhaps a little bit different perspective than you might get from other podcasts that might be digging into other parts of a person's career, their business, their life. The Magic Word Podcast is something that is intended, as always, to be just a conversation between friends or among friends, if there are more than the two of us, and also to give you convention report updates, which I've done, of course, with the Magi Fest in the past. So it's been a great convention, something that I have enjoyed for a long time attending, and I think that if you have not been, you owe it to yourself to to make that uh, part of your bucket list. I mean, they have over a thousand people who will regularly attend this convention. But as I was going to say, he has been the subject of several other podcasts that you can find out there. But I have known Andy for a long number of years. In fact, before that, I started the uh, 
the Magic Word podcast, and I'd work with Dodd Vickers on the Magic Newswire, I used to submit some convention reports, and I believe that I have I submitted one from Blackpool many years ago, and I remember he and I were sitting in the very noisy Ruskin Hotel in the bar late one night, uh, early one morning, whatever it was, and uh, chatting. It seemed like it was only yesterday, and he and I had a nice little chat. I, I can't actually give you the uh, reference as to when exactly that was, but it had to be sometime prior to uh, 2012, I'm going to say, somewhere in that era, I would say, at 2010, 11, perhaps. Anyhow. We have a great conversation here this week, and some surprises will be shared on this episode as well. So please welcome my guest this week, Mr. Andy Gladwell, here on The Magic World. I go to a lot of conventions throughout the year, as most of you know, and I also then give a lot of reports uh, from conventions. And one of my favorite that I've been going to for a long time, long number of years, is the Magi Fest. And I remember so many years ago of having dinner with Joshua Jay and his dad when he was, I say, still a kid. He's still a kid, but he was in high school at the time. Anyhow, the, the convention has grown. It has become a juggernaut, basically. And not only with that, but also with the session in England that has been added to it as well. And the reason it has is because I believe leave of the organization behind it, which is Finishing Inc., which uh, we happen to have then someone with us right now who is one of the co-owners, along with Joshua Jay, and you know who I'm talking about, someone who is a creator, a writer, a performer, someone who has fooled Penn and Teller uh, on Penn and Teller Fool Us, and has been recognized around the world and is not even yet 40. So please welcome my guest. Here he is, Andy Gladwin. Hey, Andy. I have 10 more days. 10 more days. 40. So let's celebrate together. <laughs> That's right. Celebrate the, the time while you're still under 40. 39 forever, you'll be exactly. saying. <laughs> it, it's, it's all bad backs and slow walking from here. Yeah, well, let me tell you about that. <laughs> but we haven't got the rest of the podcast to discuss all that. <laughs> but the convention has been really great. I mean, you guys have really created something there uh, together. And that was something that, for a while, uh, the Magi Fest was not even going. Because I remember that Jep, uh, Shep Hike, or Jep, Shep Hiken, Jep Hostetler uh, and his crew the, of the Redcoats, kind of for a long time there in Columbus, had done that. But then after a while, they decided, okay, we're going to take a break and then josh and you decided to uh, to take it over how did that come about actually yeah so the convention's been going since 1931 every year consecutively and jep and his team the redcoats were organizing it and they just couldn't get the numbers in anymore so they decided yeah. not to do it they were gonna take a break or or reevaluate. and jep happened to mention that to josh and he mentioned it while i was on a flight to new york to stay with josh for a few days mm-hmm. And I walked into his, his apartment, and he said, there's a thing I want you to think about. We may be able to help Magi Fest. And as soon as he said the word Magi Fest, I said, I'm in. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Because I know how important Magi Fest is to Josh. It he is. used to go when he was a kid exactly. uh, with his dad. And uh, his dad was really special to him, obviously. Yes. And it, that convention means so much to him because of those childhood memories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd already known that. So I said, whatever it is, we're going to do it. And... Right. We took it, took over the convention. The first year, I think we had 500 people, which was already double what they were getting. And now it's grown, and it's now one of the bigger conventions in the U.S. We have uh, consistently over a thousand people. Mm-hmm. We do a youth scholarship, which is our favorite thing. So we normally get 50 or 60 young magicians. We pay for them to come uh, with a with a parent, and we have this amazing youth scholarship. Uh, program now where the kids have their own room they get their own lectures and talks and shows as well as the rest of the convention so 
we've been working really hard on that convention and I'm proud to say it's now back to, to having you know, its biggest ever numbers and, mm -hmm. and I believe getting its best ever feedback. Well, I think really you guys have reinvented the convention, so to speak. I mean, Magic Live certainly did with their talks in the morning and also having different groups you go in if you're red or blue or whatever. But one of the major things I noticed that you guys had done was to do away with the contest, which was a, an integral part of uh, the Magi Fest up until then. And I don't think there are many people who are competing the way they used to, certainly. So it was a good idea to kind of take that time and focus on some other things. And it's just amazing because I've got to guess that the median age of attendees has probably got to be somewhere in their mid-30s, maybe. I mean, it's a very young crowd of people who attend. It's a very young crowd, and part of that is because of the difficult decisions we made. And when you take over a convention, this was, I think, 12 years ago now, mm -hmm. so it's a distant memory. But when you take over a convention or any business or, or anything of that nature, you have to make changes sure. because clearly something wasn't working. Mm -hmm. uh, but we know that people don't like change. People get used <laughs> to the traditions of a convention. So it was a, a tough time to make some really difficult decisions. One of them was that they used to have dealers-only registration, for example. Oh, that's right. And, and that had to go because that was one of the reasons why nobody was registering because they came just to go to the dealer. Room. Mm -hmm. uh, the competition was another one that the competition was taking up almost a day of programming. Correct. And like you say, there aren't really enough competition acts to give high quality content. There are mm -hmm. some amazing competition acts, but there are also some not great, not so great right. competition acts. So we made that choice in the first year to take that away. Uh, some people didn't like it, uh, but most people did. And I think the changes we've been gradually making and evolving and, and like you say, trying to reinvent the convention formats mm -hmm. uh, are really working out for us. And I, I, the way we do it is we design a convention we would like to attend. I think you're hitting the audience where they live with, with recognizing them through, through Vanishing Inc., in which you have a built-in group of people who who like your stuff and it's kind of like hey if you like that you how would you like to meet the creators and see some of the performers see them perform their own tricks and hear them lecture about some of these things that they're selling i i, I it's kind of like which came first with the chicken or egg i don't know that it kind of it happened that way but organically it seems like it is a nice mesh between the company uh, vanishing inc and uh, magi fest it's really astute for you to say that because actually recently i've been thinking a lot uh josh and i have been thinking a lot as well as the whole team about what if the conventions became more like that more like a we're letting you guys inside Vanishing Inc. You're seeing mm -hmm. behind the scenes of Vanishing Inc. Uh, and I, I can't really tell you what that means yet, how that's going to, to appear. But for example, one of our most popular products at Vanishing Inc. is the Masterclass series that we do. Vanishing yeah. Inc. Masterclass, we have these incredible lecturers and teachers every month come and do a month's worth of intensive instruction through lectures and Q&A. Mm -hmm. Like online online mm -hmm. uh, but how do you take that and make that part of the convention experience uh how do you take the newsletters where we send these newsletters that are, are honest and we've hand selected the products and we talk about the benefits of them why we like them not just the typical imagine a world where you could vanish a coin <laughs> so how do you bring that to a convention so i don't know how we're going to see that come on stage at this point mm -hmm. but I, we really have started to think more about that how do we bring vanishing ink in a non-commercial way, the, the, the cool parts of Vanishing Inc., how do we bring that to the stage? 
Well, that is good that you're starting to do that because what it reminds me of, obviously, is Magic Live, in which Stan Allen's original idea was, of course, for you to be inside the cover of the magazine, which is why he never and still doesn't promote who's going to be there. You just know it's going to be good. And the same thing, like he said, when you get a magazine, you don't know who's going to be from page to page. Each one is a new adventure when you find out what the next thing is going to be. And so I can kind of see that idea where it's kind of like, see the making behind the scene in this master class of how these tricks are, are invented and how the creator actually comes up what his muse is and all that. So Exactly. And Stan doesn't have that luxury now that the magazine doesn't exist. That's exactly right. So I, I think... It's, it's a really interesting format. Stan and I speak often uh, to convention organizers sharing battle stories. Sure. We, we Zoom probably every few weeks now that now that he's working actively on Magic Live and, and we're working actively on our conventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a really open dialogue about what the two conventions are doing. And that's really useful. And, it, yeah, it's good to take inspiration from, from somebody so smart who's been there, done that uh, many more times than we have. Well, that's a heck of a thing. And the fact that he was, of course, doing a magazine where he had deadlines every month of whatever, and you guys are running a business then also, worldwide business, well, as his was an international magazine then as well, of course, with deadlines. But you have products that are coming out and different things that you're doing. I know that Eric Tate is with it, doing a great podcast for you as well and, and reviewing some things. Uh, and plus, again, your newsletter. And I just love at the end of the year when you and John actually talk and just thank everybody i mean you guys are so genuine first of all i mean you're just regular guys and everybody knows that and appreciates who you are and can relate to you young or old and uh so that way that it makes it easier it's kind of like i would i like to hang with these guys you know so i think you kind of have a lightning in the bottle here well that's a big part of the conventions uh, is hanging mm-hmm. with us but I, I mean i don't say us as if we're well you know with some special guys or anything obviously but um hanging with the van schnick team hanging with your friends that's a, sure. such an important part of the conventions and and that's why we introduced the retreats and our retreats are much smaller normally 20 between 20 and 40 people and we go to a cool place and and that is really where we get to do the best part of the conventions which is hang out for three or four days mm-hmm. we, we went to south africa last year this year we're going to alaska and tuscany next week and they, to me, are, are that part of the convention, my favorite part of the convention that we get to do for right. four or five days straight. And it, it's limited to what, about two dozen people or so? Or how many people typically attend that? It, it depends on the limitations of the retreat. Yeah. So the Tuscany one, we're actually running twice. That's two groups of 30 people. Okay. Uh, I say 30 people. It's actually the only convention in the world where we encourage people to bring their partners. Mm-hmm. So it's most probably going to be 50 people at each of the retreats. We're running them. Twice. Uh, Alaska, I think, is going to be 30 people. Um, we just got mm-hmm. the coolest news uh, about Alaska. Um, I think I can say this. Maybe you got the scoop here, Scott. Okay. Uh, but Steve Forte is going to be joining us. Oh, wow. Uh, on that the is cruise. great. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as a lecturer, but he's going to be uh, mm-hmm. uh, interviewed and, and hanging out the whole time. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a pretty special cruise. Well, uh, that does sound like it's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, and I, I was attending the Magic Cuba convention, and that was... It wasn't a select group of people. It was open to whomever, but it wasn't until after it was over. Everybody said, I wish I would have known or I could have have gone to that. But the interesting thing was uh, the same thing there, that people were invited to bring their spouses, and people were bringing their neighbors and everything then, too, to that. But the cool thing was exactly, Andy, what you're talking about, specifically where that you got to hang out, you know, with Ossie Wend and with Matt King and uh, Mike Caveney and uh, all these guys, you know, who were Eric Mead, you know, just having some uh, conversations with them while you're on the bus or you'd be sitting next to them next to dinner because that was all part 
part of the thing. So, and, and then they would lecture during a day. And the kind of a cool thing was also they didn't bring product because of customs and problems of coming into Cuba in a communist country. But uh, so they, it was like we're just giving these ideas away. And and if you you know they weren't pushing any product, it was just pushing ideas for us to learn. It was really a lot of fun. So I can imagine how the intimate uh, retreats you have must be awesome. They're my favorite part of the year. Yeah, mm-hmm. the fact that I get to do that twice a year. Yeah, is just incredible. I'm so lucky. And yeah, we don't also we also don't do products at the retreats. Instead, everybody gets a gift pack, and yeah. that includes a book from each of the the lecturers mm-hmm. that are going to be at the retreat. So, it's a really cool experience. What about the session? Uh, was that an outgrowth actually of uh, the Magi Fest, or was that going on and you picked it up? Or uh, so actually, yeah, the session is something uh, I started with a, a colleague, Rob James. Uh, I guess uh, 15 years ago now. So that was pre Magi Fest. Mm. Uh, and it was a much smaller convention back then. I think we had maybe 50 or 60 people the mm-hmm. first year. It was in my hometown, a really small town, in an old people's home. And we grew it. And eventually, uh, once we launched Vanishing Inc., it became a, a Vanishing Inc. convention. And now Josh and I run it. And it's, it's bigger than ever. It's better than ever. And I... I'm really proud of what started as a tiny little convention has now grown to, to I, I believe, an important convention in the UK magic calendar. How do you keep it intimate then? I mean, as a cl- it's a close-up convention, right? It's close-up. I've yeah. been wanting to come for a while. I mean, well, at 4F convention, we were talking like 250 people or so, you know, and that's close-up. Uh, but they have big screen monitors. I'm assuming that you have similar kind of a thing with AV, so everybody can see. So every year since year one, people have said to me, don't grow the convention. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's perfect as it, as it is. And... We have continued to grow it, and mm-hmm. I think we're probably at the limit now. It's about yeah. 600 people, uh, but every year that we grow it, we reinvest in the tech, yeah. and tech is my background, and tech is something I'm very confident and comfortable with, so we have, I believe, the best video work of any convention in the world, which is a big statement to say, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but we have these, these incredible uh, robotic cameras um, that can automatically track the performer, and we have wow. an amazing overhead camera, these big... Intelligent uh, lighting and all that. All of that stuff, uh, big HD screens. Mm. So it feels really intimate based on how we put the convention together, mm-hmm. uh, but not just with tech, but also with the scheduling as well. So with both of our conventions, we feel it's important to, to let the schedule breathe. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of conventions that we're at are just so packed, and you don't get to spend time hanging out with your friends and and sessioning and doing magic. And those, to me, are the most important, most memorable parts of any convention. So we really carefully select the schedule to make it continue to feel intimate. It really is. And I had a, a, a short talk with Joshua some years ago about he was uh, frustrated because of people who would come to Magi Fest and not be paying to hang out in the lobby because the sessioning is some of the most valuable time that you can have because you're hanging out there with uh, Guy Hollingworth or you know Juan Tamariz or whomever and some people who are not paying for the convention are just showing up in the hotel and how do you you, know, you really can't monetize that or say you know it's a public area you know so it's a difficult thing to do so some people are just have, have taken advantage unfortunately I'm, I'm saying this publicly so people who are listening saying eh, it's not a cool thing guys <laughs> Yeah, and nowadays our conventions tend to be in convention centers, which are actually closed off the, to the public. Mm. So you kind of have to break in if you want mm-hmm. to be one of those guys. And we're really lucky that we really don't have all that much of an issue with that. Uh, in the session one year, we decided to bring in the session police, which was uh, a couple of actor <laughs> friends of mine who, who came dressed as police and they were going around checking badges, but they were hilarious. Uh, one uh-huh. of them is uh, Jasper Blakely, who you may or may not know, he is a, 
uh, a comedy magician and an actor who has a character called Kokoff. And uh, he is one of the funniest people I know. <laughs> so we made kind of light of the situation, uh-huh. but nobody would want to walk around that convention without a badge <laughs> because they would take the wrath of Jasper, uh, which was really fun. Yeah. But the, the reason we get so frustrated with people who don't pay and come and it's twofold. One is often those people are not just hanging out in the lobby. They are actually sneaking into the events, mm. which is uh, not cool. ideal because that takes up space sure. for other people. Uh, but more importantly, uh, there are many, many people who are paying doing the right thing. And mm-hmm. it's so unfair for them to have to uh, get the same experience for somebody who's sneaking in. Yeah. So, so we do take it really seriously because it's important for the attendees. We'll talk about things. Well, that's not illegal, but it's not cool, as I say, and it's really not ethical and everything then, too. But talking about ethics, one of the most interesting uh, sessions that I have attended at the Magi Fest was a talk that you gave, when, uh, again, going back to Vanishing Inc., as far as actually following up, finding someone who was stealing and actually going to that country and approaching the person. That Can you briefly explain that story, I mean, I was going into a 15, 20-minute te- TED Talk, but it was yeah, amazing. I would love to go, uh, do it as a TED Talk. Um, <laughs> yes, so piracy is something that's extremely important to me and always has been. Uh, it's bigger than Vanished Ink. It's bigger than Magic Downloads. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I kind of view people who pirates... And, and here I'm referring to the pirate as the person who is selling the material... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really hindering creativity. It's slowing down magic. Because nowadays, creators uh, who are trying to rely on magic as their sole source of income are really struggling because they release a trick, then same day, the pirates are releasing it for a tenth of the price. Mm. And the problem is for the magic community, if you're looking for a magic download and you go to a website and you see it for $2 on one website or $20 on another website... Uh, you're going to buy the $2 one if you don't know that it's illegitimate. Correct. And that's what happens a lot. And a lot of times the websites will look fairly identical. So one of the major magic pirate websites has a a statement at the bottom that says, beware of copycats, Mm. beware of pirate sites. And they are the (laughs) worst of the pirate sites. Oh, man. And it's a real battle to to try and find a fix for that. Uh, But I'm, I'm working hard on it because... It, it started for me when three of my friends in one day, three prominent magicians that we both know mm-hmm. uh, personally, but the, everyone listening knows, told me that they're going to stop releasing magic because it's no longer economically viable yeah. for them. Uh, one of them uh, truly is extremely depressed by it uh, mm-hmm. because it's his sole source of income and, mm-hmm. and it's being ripped apart from him. So I, I wanted to do something about it because with the the power of Vanishing Ink, with the size of Vanishing Ink, uh, I think I'm just accidentally about to paraphrase Spider-Man, uh, but um, comes <laughs> with great responsibility. Right, right. So uh, because of the resources we have and the the tech background that I have, I, I felt a real responsibility to try and help. Mm-hmm. Am I going to solve piracy? Absolutely not. But uh, am I going to help uh, educate uh, magicians not to pirate? Definitely yes. Mm-hmm. And I think I can slow down piracy along the way. Uh, and the most important thing... I have to say about it is I have 100% concrete evidence that the pirates are using the credit card details when you pay for to buy your download, that they are using those credit cards illegally, that they are now uh, defrauding you. Identity theft, they are using your credit card numbers, they're selling them on the, the black market, right. and it's, it's become way more prominent. Another thing that the pirates do is that people sign up to their websites using their username and password, uh, that they happen to have the same username and password 
on legitimate magic websites. So now mm -hmm. people are buying from the pirate websites. The pirate that has your plain text password, they are logging into all of the other major magic websites mm -hmm. and they are now buying other downloads from that account. So the pirates wow. are stealing people's money, uh, mm -hmm. truly stealing With money. your information, they're stealing. Using mm -hmm. all your information. And uh, we, we got very lucky with Invanished Inc. We spotted that because I was monitoring it. I always expected that to be the case, but I had no evidence. Mm -hmm. And I was monitoring it, and we managed to stop after one purchase, that this happened for one purchase. We immediately notified the customer. We refunded the money. We suggested they cancel the card, and then we built the security in place to do it. But uh, other magic stores are not as responsive as us, and most major magic stores have not plugged this hole. So anybody who is buying from a pirate website, I really recommend changing your passwords and also changing your credit cards because... Well, number three, not using it, not buying uh, it. 100% not using it as well uh, because, yeah, you, you, your data is truly at risk. And that doesn't even take into account the, the problems that this is causing the magic industry at right. large. And so, discouraging people, again, from actually getting out of magic altogether. I mean, why spend my mental faculties inventing something for magic where it might be more respected if I applied that towards any other Exactly business. that, mm -hmm. yeah. So we, we really need our creators in magic. Right, and I, we do. Uh, I, I don't think there are all that many people who intentionally purchase from these websites. I think they are genuinely tricked by it. Mm -hmm. So I'm working really hard to help educate people to make sure that we know that we can spot a scam, basically. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is uh, when it comes to buying magic downloads. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. I mean, if it's going to be kind of close, let's say it's a, it's a $18 versus $20, that's one thing perhaps. But I, I know that some uh, company, well, like uh, Murphy's has like a, uh, a certain policy that you're not supposed to, or that uh, they don't sell below a certain price uh, as far as the retail price. What am I trying to say? You know, the yeah, so Murphy's have a, what they call a price protection Price protection, um, thank policy, you. Policy, mm -hmm. uh, which, yeah, stops other magic stores selling uh, beneath a certain price. So if you see that below that certain price, then you know that's probably a... A pirate company. Exactly. You know, magic companies um, work together often. So, so we are constantly in contact with the other major magic stores. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd say the top three, four stores, uh, mm -hmm. and we work together. And we we really try and create a fair playing field. I, mm -hmm. I hate the idea of uh, trying to race to the bottom. I always tell our team yeah. that we should be racing to the top. Sure. We should be looking at what are the best things that we can offer. So mm -hmm. instead of worrying about what is the cheapest, how can we undercut everybody else in price? Instead, how can we offer a better service? How right. can we uh, ship quicker than the other magic stores? How can we ship cheaper than the other magic stores? Mm -hmm. Those are the things where we want to try and race uh, and compete against. But price is not one. So right. actually, most of the magic stores try and stay within the same uh, price. Do you like to try to keep Vanishing Inc. a stable of magicians that uh, who create and uh, say, okay, we want to contract with you, and like uh, we've got rights for the next five years of things you bring to us, rather than bringing to other manufacturers. So no, deliberately not. That's not something okay. I've, I've ever been comfortable with, and okay. something that I've uh, has been presented within the company several times by various team members. And I believe that a creator should be free to to find the Whoever. right outlet sure. for the right trick, mm -hmm. because interestingly. Somebody may bring us a trick, and we say, you know, that's not a trick for our audience, but you should go talk to Illusionist or Theory 11. That's, mm -hmm. that's more for them. And so to me, it's important that every creator gets to choose their the best outlet. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I can tell you that many of the creators that work with us consistently come back to us and give us first right of refusal because we're the only magic company that has a marketing team. Uh, we're one mm -hmm. of the few magic companies that has a production team. We have two magicians who are working full-time. When they, uh, a creator brings us a product, they're, they're working on that product with them and improving it. And mm -hmm. it, 
that's my favorite part of the company. I, I, I get to do it less and less nowadays, but mm -hmm. uh, I love meeting with those guys and, and seeing the new prototypes that have just been 3D printed or uh, that we've just got this new sample back. And, and right. uh, pretty much nowadays, every product that comes through Vanished Inc. has been greatly improved by our production team huh. uh, because often if somebody's working on a, I don't know, uh, let's say a deck switch, yeah. um, they're, they're using a homemade version probably with cardboard and duct tape. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when it comes to us, then our, then our team... You can 3D uh, print it or you can... Exactly, yeah. really work and improve it. So. Plus the packaging of it, it would be better than just sticking it in a Ziploc bag. Yeah, Ziploc <laughs> bags are done now. I don't think uh, we will uh, ever be uh, allowing a magic trick to be released again in a Ziploc bag. Uh, yeah. Hopefully. There are so many different uh, cool packaging ideas uh, that are just, uh, I don't even want to throw away the package. I mean, some things that are just you know, so cool like that. I guess you got designers on staff who work with the packaging? Yep. Uh, full -time, uh, one full-time graphic designer, but uh, a couple of the other team members are exceptional designers, so often get caught in when we, when we get behind, because remember, we're, we're designing books and uh, products and downloads and website design and adverts. It's, right. it's, it's quite the machine of uh, design. Uh, Michael, our designer, is truly the best designer I've ever seen and ever worked with in my career before Vanish Inc. And his stuff is, yeah, he's really iconic and amazing. So I'm proud that we work with him. Why is it, somebody asked me just uh, about a week ago, he said, if you get to talk to Andy Gladwin or any of the guys uh, over there, to find out why it is they are all in Sacramento. I mean, Penguin and Murphy's and Vanishing Inc. have major warehouses in one area, in that industrial park area. Is it just a tax thing or? Sounds like a conspiracy theory, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think that's where they were going, but now that you mention it. <laughs> all right, I'll talk about it. Uh, I've, I've never talked about this publicly, I don't think, but uh, there is a reason that okay. we're all in. Um, and, yeah, obviously I can't speak on behalf of Penguin and Murphy's, but I can tell you why Vanish Inc. is there. Uh, and that is that Mark Murphy, the owner of Murphy's Magic, uh, is from Sacramento, and he started Murphy's Magic mm. in Sacramento. Murphy's Magic, for those who don't know, is is the largest magic wholesaler. To, to walk through that warehouse is to see yeah. truly millions of magic products. Yeah. Obviously, they only have maybe uh, 20,000, 25,000 uh, individual product lines, but they have millions of products. That is it, it reminds me kind of, of uh, that last scene in Indiana Jones when he's you know, wheeling that box down there and you just look at all those rows and the camera pulls back and say, just got, that looks like a mile of stuff. The thing you have to know about me, Scott, despite my Spider-Man reference earlier, is actually I don't watch movies. Oh. I, 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 I was so, going to say, you don't have much time for anything. Is what as much busy as you are. It's a running joke amongst my friends, but I yeah I just uh, I haven't watched a movie in many years. Oh, I just really? don't have time for it, which uh, I realize now made many people hate me. And uh, but trust me, if I had time, I would. Um, so uh, that sounds like a very topical reference, but I uh, I'm afraid I don't okay, understand. Okay, go with me. Uh, Sony House big, yeah. So they have uh, some. Uh, the, the biggest Mark warehouse big one. Mm -hmm. you can imagine, yeah, just full and full of magic. And when when Josh and I went there first time, the first time we were basically breathless that mm -hmm. somebody could have this much magic. And so I can't tell you why Penguin decided to to rock up in Sacramento, but I can tell you why Vanish Inc did, which is that by having easy access to Murphy's means that we can offer the best customer service possible. So we're about a mile away from Murphy's, which means that uh, multiple times a day we go to Murphy's, and if we don't have a product in stock. We mm -hmm. can take it from Murphy's and uh, we buy it from Murphy's. And you have your own warehouse there. They go from their warehouse to your warehouse, basically. Correct, yeah. Okay. So, so we do keep a, a very big inventory at Vanish Inc. Mm -hmm. But here's where I think I differ from other business owners. Uh, I can probably best explain this with a story. I uh, visited our warehouse. We, we, uh, we recently bought a new warehouse. We knocked through to, to really expand our warehouse. And I visited with one of our team members, and he was like, look at this. Isn't this amazing that we own all of this magic? Mm -hmm. And my response was, 
well, no, this is magic we should have sold. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. It should be empty. Exactly. <laughs> so um, so we keep a big inventory, but uh, the aim is always to, <laughs> to not have a big inventory. Uh, but when, when we sell something that we don't have a stock to or when we order something from Murphy's, we can go and pick it up there and then. So we have a great relationship with them. Uh, mm-hmm. We also stock some Penguin products, and, and we do the same thing. So the three of us are basically in a triangle, mm-hmm. uh, and we can just drive around the route, uh, and, and they can pick up from us. And, and yeah, the, our teams work well together. Uh, our teams often have social events together, uh, at least with Murphy's, Van Schnick and Murphy's. Uh, so it's, it really works out well. It also means when I go to Sacramento once or twice a year, I get to see all of, uh, all of the key players in the company. Right. So it works out well. Yeah, that'd be interesting because I'm, I'm sure that each of you have your own, you say, your own products that are unique to each of the three of you. Uh, so you don't have everything. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So whoever had asked me that question, there's your answer. It's uh, a really cool uh, core business uh, responsibility of mine is to, to maintain good contact with people that other other companies may consider a competitor, but to me, it's mm-hmm. really important that we we stay on good terms and that we communicate. Of so, course, you should. So yeah. I'm, in, I'm in constant contact with uh, Jar. He's just the email away at Jar, the owner of Penguin, uh, and with Mark Murphy and his son mm-hmm. Austin, and and all of the Murphy's uh, core players. So uh, it's very useful to to be in the the same geographic area. We are going to take a brief commercial break to hear about Poe's Magic Conference, August 24th through 27th. Poe's Magic Conference is coming up August the 24th through the 27th in Baltimore, Maryland. And I have with me right now the uh, Chief Mystical Officer, Mr. Vince Wilson, who is the organizer of Poe's Magic Conference. Hi there, Vince. Hey, Scott. It's great to be back again. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I'm looking forward to returning to Baltimore. I think the venue you have for the conference is just outstanding. Oh, yes. The historic Lord Baltimore Hotel and its Art Deco French Renaissance style is a incredible oh God, we are so lucky to be able to have that venue it's fantastic and it's also on the national record of his haunted places i believe that's correct yes it has a, a long history of being haunted <laughs> <laughs> now poe's magic conference of course is named after edgar Allan poe who was a master of the short story on the macabre side and that's one of the things that we're specializing in at this conference of teaching people how to bring your magic to another level by adding storytelling element and who are some of the people who are going to be teaching us how to do that well, we have an incredible lineup this year. We have David Parr, Paul Prater, Larry Haas is going to be there. Crystal Younglove, Scott Wells, Lindsay Noel, Zeke Powers, and Black. All these incredible magicians are going to be talking and speaking and interacting on a one-on-one case in some bases with the performers that who come. If you're new to magic or just want to take your existing magic to a next level, this is the best conference for you to attend this year. It really is. And for those who might be thinking, well, this sounds uh, maybe not to be my cup of tea specifically. This is really more for the bizarre people or occult, and that's not kind of what my magic is. That's also not what this conference is. As you say, it's really not a convention particularly. It is a conference and an opportunity to learn. And what we're learning how to do is to tell stories with your magic and not necessarily make them creepy. We're trying to make them so they're entertaining. They still, of course, can be light. But the important thing with this conference is, uh, again, for those who might be thinking this is a bizarre conference, it is not. It is something really for everyone. I don't care if you're a children's entertainer or you're a corporate entertainer working at trade shows. You can learn a lot at this convention. Yeah, think about it. Uh, Jeff McBride considers himself a bizarre magician. Eugene Berger was a bizarre magician. So many magicians have contributed to that aspect. And the Golden Age magicians 100 years ago, 
if they live today, they would consider themselves bizarre magicians. Because mm-hmm. what it is, bizarre really, as you think about it as ascending beyond the spooky and weird, it is storytelling th- combined with theatrical magic. And it doesn't have to be ghosts and demons and things like that. It can be fairy tales and personal experiences, like when you got your first magic trick or, or uh, you know, what is going on in your life right now and how what mm-hmm. inspired you to become a magician. This sincere conveyance to the audience creates better connections that will um you know really make them believe that magic at least for your performance length is real you know because of that level of sincerity there's nothing wrong with being conveyed as magical for the duration of your performance right we want to evoke a positive emotion in our audience so they remember us far and away from the rest of the uh, the magicians who we were competing against so listen, boy, we can go into this fairly deeply. Uh, and for you to go more deep into that, sign up, register today. What's the website people should go to? PoseMagicConference.com. Just go to PoseMagicConference.com. There you go. And you can uh, get all the information that you need in order to register and get your hotel and everything set because it's coming up on August 24th through the 27th. And that 24th, by the way, which is a Thursday, be sure to uh, come in early enough because it's amazing to go through the on the tour to, of uh, the catacombs and go see Poe's gravesite and everything too, because Vince gives us a great little ghost tour on the way over there, because it's not too far away from the hotel. It's a nice little walking tour. Vince, thanks again. Good talking to you, my friend. And I will see you in August. And now back to the podcast with Andy Gladwin. So going back again to movies for a minute, and you're not seeing movies because of how busy you've been, I cannot imagine how many hours a week that you must work because of, of writing books, which you later publish, and, and then working on the website and tech, and then new products are coming in, or people calling you, and you and Josh doing different things, plus going back and forth in the UK. I mean, that's you, you live over there. And so how many hours a week would you say that you put to this? I don't think I could tell you because I, I think – People would think I'm absolutely crazy. Um, But first and foremost, I'm a family man. I have a son and a wife. And so I I spend a lot of time with them. But when I am at home and I am home alone, uh, I I work every second I can. Um, Mm, I am, uh, my friends say I'm one of the most focused workers they've ever met. So I I will sit and I will just type away and and get things done. But nowadays, my my work is quite different. Uh, The writing has to be done on the downtime. So often... Mm -hmm. I stay up very late when when the family go to bed. That's when I start writing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I may get up before them and start writing as well. Uh, But most of my days nowadays are meetings or or traveling. So Mm -hmm. Do you do things, I assume, on the plane? Or uh, do you try to sleep? So I have have a technique where I certain tasks I save for when I'm traveling. So Mm -hmm. writing is something I can do offline if there's no internet on the plane. Right. So, uh, yeah, I very carefully select what tasks I do when I'm traveling. Uh, When I travel I most nowadays I'm mostly traveling with at least one or two members of the Vanish Nink team uh, they're always sleeping I'm always working it's a bit mm-hmm. of a running joke that that I'm not <laughs> going to sleep on the flight uh, but we have a team of 48 people now so mm-hmm. uh, all of the work that I used to do by myself and that you, Josh used to do by himself now is really split up amongst the whole team how does that feel to kind of let loose of that I mean I I'm very good at delegating authority when I've been in business and I've had people that work for me. It's kind of like, that's your responsibility. I'm letting go of that. But as someone that has built this 
business really from the ground up the way that you and Josh have. You've had your hands and fingers in every aspect of that. How are, are you at letting things go and letting people be responsible for their jobs? So I'm an absolute control freak, and the whole team <laughs> okay. will tell you that. Um, you want your fingers to go back on everything, untouch I, it again. <laughs> but the truth is, the reason I'm a control freak is because I love it. I, yeah, well, yeah, I understand. Every single person that works for Vanish Inc. is doing a job that I once did mm-hmm, uh, sure. when we were a lot smaller. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, I, I think they come to me and know that I can help because I had spent the first five or six years of Vanishing Inc. Doing it, yeah. Do, essentially doing what they're doing. But uh, we're also very lucky that we employ genuine experts in the mm-hmm. field. So mm-hmm. uh, I found a lot of magic companies are saying, are you a magician? Okay, then you may work in this role. Uh, but but for us, I, I look for which magicians do I know that are true experts in their fields. So mm-hmm. For example, we have Jeff Colwoke, who is yeah. our CFO, oh, that's chief right. financial yeah. officer, uh, but he also runs his incredible YouTube channel on magic books. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I knew that he was a magician, but I, when I first contacted him, uh, I was talking solely about his CFO work. And mm-hmm. Damien Jennings, who is our marketing person who, who does our podcast, um, uh, many other things too, uh, I knew him before uh, before he uh, worked for Vanish Inc. He was a friend of mine, but I knew his expertise in marketing. So yeah. uh, I, we're always looking at bringing in experts. So the magic team I was telling you about, Tim Hill just joined us. Tim Hill is oh, I loved him. one yeah. of the most amazing magic creators. Yeah, he used to work with uh, Carrie Pollock. Correct, yeah, yes. Yeah, Wilder's Wizardry. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he's an unsung hero in, mm-hmm. in the magic world. And kid. To have him, guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, to have him join the team is just absolutely incredible. So, yes, I'm a control freak, but mm-hmm. I think we have got to the stage now where the team... Uh, present ideas to me and to Josh, and we kind of work together more than than me. I'm certainly not a micromanager. Control freak, not a micromanager. Okay. <laughs> there is a difference there. There is. Uh, and so whenever you add someone, at what point do you decide, oh, I just need to have uh, some more hours in the day, and this could probably, my time could be better spent if I have someone else do this. How do you determine we need to add another position? So because of the size of the company, we also uh, have a product manager and everything is really considered uh, about the times. When, when things start to get delayed, when – let me take a step back and answer that slightly differently. So if you are a creator and you bring us a product okay. and that product hasn't been released for three years, we've done a disservice to you because uh, it's possible somebody else has come up with the same idea in that time. Uh, it's possible that you want to go on a lecture tour and you don't have the product to go on a lecture tour to, with. Mm-hmm. So when – when we get to the point where we are just working a little bit too slow, that's when we need to reevaluate and work out who we can bring on to, to fill that gap, mm-hmm. uh, ideally before that, that, that gap is even created. So we work yeah, with our product manager and we start to we're always looking at where, where can we streamline and make improvements. Right. Now, during COVID, for the, the two-year period, did you have to lay off some people or did they work still uh, during that time? I mean, people were still buying magic, I assume. Did you find a, a lull or did, was there a spike during so COVID? The, the first day that we had lockdowns in the UK, and the UK was locked down quite a bit before the US, yeah, right. uh, Josh and I had a phone call and we, we made ourselves a promise that we wouldn't lay off any employee and that the first thing we would do is take a pay cut ourselves or, or, or stop paying ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we actually decided there and then, let's just not pay ourselves. We can both live in a way that's not going to be expensive for the next few months. Mm-hmm. So we did that so that we could ensure that we keep everybody on. And actually, during the pandemic, we employed more people wow. uh, instead of taking, uh, letting anyone go. Uh, it was a real interesting balancing act because there were times we couldn't have the warehouses open. And so we had to retrain warehouse employees to be making gimmicks at home. Mm-hmm. And You kept them busy doing something, even though it may not have been there for Exactly that. And everybody in the team really adapted. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've 
So something that Jeff, our CFO, has started telling me is you have to stop viewing this company as a startup because it's no longer a startup. That's true. Uh, but I always have a startup mentality. Uh, and in that mentality, uh, the way I see it is everybody can be agile. If everybody in the team is agile, the company can be agile. Mm -hmm. And so that means I've always had a spirit within the team that we can adapt at any point and we can work quickly to, to change things around. Mm -hmm. So the team were very open to, to readjusting their roles and that's not just the warehouse employees who had to start making gimmicks, but also uh, the marketing team who had to now think, well, we can't be working on physical products because we probably are not going to be able to get products made uh, offshore for, for a, a few months at least because mm -hmm. uh, of many of the factories that we use. We have shut a, down. Uh, we have a team in Asia. Uh, they were unable to, to come to us and, right. and they were shut down. So everybody had to readjust. The marketing team were now leaving behind the products that they were working on promoting and starting to work on downloads. And you may remember we did this uh, thing called Share Magic Live, which was an online convention yes. with 35,000 people attend, which I think may be the biggest. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 35,000, not 3,500, but 35,000. 35,000 magicians over the course of the day came in. Um, that's as best as we can measure. We, um, wow. we kind of undercompensated, uh, we think, for the number. <laughs> but... That was something that we all needed, uh, and uh -huh. that, that was just an idea I presented to the team. And that was early on. That was during 2020, I think. Correct. It? That was yeah. the first lockdown. Uh, I, I'm the guy in the company who has the big, wild, crazy ideas that normally get <laughs> uh, knocked back by the rest of the team. But you think big. Uh, I, I try to think big. I think that's, that's where the fun ideas start, yeah. and then the team are the ones that can kind of pull me in to, yeah. uh, to, to, reality. to, to get something more realistic. Uh -huh. But I said, we should organize a magic convention. We shouldn't be worrying about the money for this. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, that was one of the things we did to kind of help keep the team busy to, to kind of reorientate what we could do. And that was a big vanishing team effort. And, and we pulled it off. And it was, yeah, something that I'm really proud of and, and remain proud of. Because at a time where things were pretty dark for a lot of magicians, we, we managed to, to, to just have a really fun day and give people something to, to look forward to. As I recall, that was a free thing, mm -hmm. too, for the world. That's one of the reasons I guess everybody was signing up, because they had plenty of time at home and everything. And, they could, and because it was for all 24 hours, they can sign on different times. And I think, didn't you record that? And so do you sell the DVD of the, of the day or not? It's free. Oh, so okay. you can download it for free on the website. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had some incredible people. Uh, I remember Justin Willman. Uh, yeah, Danny Garcia, I think, too. Danny Garcia, yeah. David Blaine popped in. Yeah. Uh, it was a, yeah, it was a big who's who of magic. And mm -hmm. uh, to me, while the pandemic was an awful time, I can think back to times where I just couldn't have been prouder of the Vanish Nick team to, to pull off some of the things they did. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't really do some of those things now, I think, because people were at home and had the time that they don't now. Exactly. You know? I hope it's never to be repeated. Oh, well, of course not. Yeah. yeah. But you really kind of made something great out of that. Yeah, yeah. We, we tried to, to yeah, make, give people something to look forward to. For when sure. I look back at some of the uh, companies that have been so successful, like Abbott's and others, uh, in their early years, there have been a couple of tricks that have made it. Kind of like everybody seems like has this at, in their drawer, home or someplace. They maybe bought it and thought it was great, haven't used it, and others bought several of them or whatever. Has there been something or was there something in the infancy of Vanishing Inc. that was a hot product for you guys as you got started? Yeah, the the first product that we really felt that with was the cooler by Christian Angle. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. And that was a trick that was really kind of heavily fought after by other magic stores. Hmm. Some of the, the biggest and uh, most popular stores were, were trying to get the rights to produce that trick. Mm -hmm. And so Josh and I did something we've never done before, and we sat down and we thought, well, what is the most we can spend on this product? What can we do to market it? And we put together a full presentation to Christian, the, the mm -hmm. creator, 
and we managed to get the rights to it. It was a big leap of faith for him because we were a very small company back mm -hmm. then. Uh, but that became a, a big hit trick and one that helped start to, to grow the company. Hmm. The other one was the Sankey books. We wrote these books, Josh and I, the definitive uh, Jay Sankey, and uh, three big volumes and... We spent a lot of time writing those. I think it took us about three years. Wow. I was even writing them on my honeymoon. Uh, but when they came out... You're committed, or should be. <laughs> I kind of... Uh, yeah, I feel bad now. I think about it. Now, now I verbalize that. Uh, but we... Yeah, that really helped grow the company, I think. Man. Well, I know you have other projects then right now that uh, if you can talk about this. That's a new book that's going to be coming out, we're going to be working on, that you were at the senior tour talking with the guys there. Mm -hmm. About yeah. the magazines? So uh, I think it's no secret to okay. anyone who studied my work that um, I am a big Ed Marlowe fan, uh, and I believe that Ed's left us so much great magic. But I, I have a concern that his material is getting forgotten and his genius is getting forgotten mm -hmm. uh, because I think magic may have focused so much on the, the other legends uh, of that same time. Mm -hmm. uh, Di Werner, for example, he was right. 19 years older than Vern, uh, than Marlowe, but still, uh, I mean, we, we idolized some of these amazing Charlie Miller and Doc Daly, uh, these amazing magicians who were working at the same time as Ed, but for right. some reason we seem to have forgotten uh, about Marlowe's work. Now, that may be in part due to the fact that his magic seems unapproachable at times because mm -hmm. the tricks are explained in a pretty dry manner in some booklets that are... Um, easy to find, but not easy to read. Did he just uh, draw those, uh, the, the diagrams also himself, or did he have somebody? Uh, so he drew a couple of them, and you can really see which ones he did. Okay. Uh, but he had a, a lot of friends. Bob Nelson was one who uh, drew a lot of the illustrations, particularly for the Marlowe's magazines. Mm -hmm. uh, Marlowe wrote these, uh, they're called magazines, but they're really not. Uh, each one is about 350 pages, and he had six volumes of the Marlowe's magazines. He printed 300 copies of each one. And they're pretty rare and sought after now. If you buy them from an auction, they're maybe $300 per, wow. per copy. Mm -hmm. And I've loved these magazines for years. I was lucky enough to get hold of them probably 20 years ago now. And, and I've studied them continuously over those 20 years. And, and it's influenced your work? It's influenced my work for sure, um, particularly uh, the way I create and particularly the way I um, streamline slides. Marlowe had a very kind of streamlined approach. Mm -hmm. So these Marlowe magazines are very difficult to get hold of but should be studied. So we managed after... 12 years of trying to get the rights for these uh, pretty much every year trying to make a move to get the rights uh, we managed to finally get the rights so we're going to be republishing the Marlowe's magazines and, and along the way I'm working on some other Marlowe projects because I think if you're the kind of person who would be interested in the magazines you're also the kind of person who should be aware of who Marlowe is and, and interested in the person himself exactly that mm -hmm. and there was very 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 little published about Marlowe the person you see, mm -hmm. he believed that you should take the person out of the magic and that means that his books really don't have anything in the way of biographical information right. or you don't right. really get to know the guy because but, the books weren't about him it was about his tricks his thinking exactly that and he said that to to find out what a good trick is, you should strip away the performer. You should strip away uh, the, the patter. You should strip away the, the script, the, the gags. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then you get what you have is, is, is that a good trick, what's remaining? Mm -hmm. uh, and then you can rebuild it with all of those things. That's what someone was saying recently about how that some people think that Marlowe is not commercial. However, you look at someone like Bill Malone, who has taken those things and proven how commercial they really are. Exactly. Well, what's interesting about Marlowe is he was actually quite a funny performer at times. Mm. Uh, he... Uh, he, he wasn't well known for performing for lay people. That that wasn't something he uh, particularly 
thrived at, I would say. Uh, mm-hmm. However, he, he did do it on occasion. He worked behind a bar. Uh, he worked in the treasure chest, which is a, a magic store, um, or at least a treasure chest was this big kind of arcade that had a magic store, and Marla worked there for mm-hmm. a three-year period. Uh, but his stuff is... It's certainly commercial, not all of it, but there mm-hmm. is a lot of commercial gold to be found. Uh, but John Rockabomber described it in the best way, which was that Die Vernon gave us form, Ed Marlowe, Ed Marlowe gave us formula. And mm-hmm. I think that's interesting to, to analyze his magic in that way. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on a few Marlowe projects right now. And I, I'm not ready to say what they are purely because I actually don't really know what they are. How it's going to develop. Yeah. Uh, I've, uh, I've been interviewing um, every Marlowe student that I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, I think, two more left, uh, two more living students that I that I have to talk to, but I probably have 20 hours of interview footage and uh, a lot of my own study study notes where I, I take a lot of notes when I'm studying work for people like Marlowe. So at some point there will be a project, but I don't know what it is yet. And I'm quite enjoying being in that research phase. Wow, what a journey that's going to be. I mean, that you're kind of on it, but not knowing where the end of the journey is going to take you. Exactly. And and I've been visiting uh, museums, private museums, public Uh museums, and libraries. And I've got a lot of of unseen Marlowe stuff. And I've I've uncovered some things that I think the magic world will be interested in. Mm -hmm. But uh, who knows where it's going to go. Uh, So... Uh, so you got some video as well as audio, I guess, of some of these. That yeah, it'd be kind of cool, I think, for magicians to have some sort of a documentary that you could make of that. Who knows? Yeah, you I've know, also but... uncovered an hour-long Marlowe uh, interview that has never been seen before. Oh my, that's pretty cool. Uh, with Di Vernon, Di uh-huh. Vernon interviewing Ed Marlowe. Wow. Oh, and was... Di Vernon and Marlowe speaking together in an interview. Unaware that that was even existed. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's, uh, it's it now, was the Chicago Roundtable actually around Ed Marlowe? Was he one of the people who formed that, or was he just part of that? Is it kind of organically evolved? So. Don't Dorney started the round table in, okay. table in 1950, uh, but the round table philosophy uh, stayed in Chicago. And actually, uh, I'm, I was just in Chicago, and I was pleased to see that it's kind of back now. Mm-hmm. So, so Dorney's whole concept for the round table was that it would be a daily magic club. So between 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. every day, magicians would gather. Sometimes mm-hmm. it would just be a few. Often it would be about 15 magicians, and they would all hang out. There was no club politics. There was no hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just magicians in a restaurant or a cafe just, right. just hanging out and doing magic that was six days a week uh so they they took off sundays to give the restaurant a break (laughs) and and i think marlo was certainly inspired by that style of of hanging out with magicians and he would frequent uh, various restaurants uh for example shulian's uh Mm -hmm. the the famous magic bar uh, and magicians would join them at at this round table and that's where the the famous marlo students such as uh simon aronson and bill malone and uh, Steve Drawn and Dave Solomon. They, they John, all Bannon. John Bannon. John yeah. Bannon. Uh, John Bannon didn't spend as much time with Marlowe as the others, mm-hmm. but uh, he's certainly, I think you could consider him a Marlowe student. I think mm-hmm. he maybe self-identifies that. Uh, so it was a really fascinating way to create and share magic. Right. And not something that is alive right now, but I see that uh, the Chicago Magic Lounge are doing a terrific job in starting to create that kind of atmosphere right. again. Because that was kind of... I guess in hibernation, and for lack of a better word, for such a long time. Uh, and when the Magic Lounge, Chicago Magic Lounge, reopened in its new location, I think that's when they decided, hey, we're going to have this, uh, try to get this going back again. Because what it had been like 20 years since uh, it was some sort of an active club. Uh, yeah, uh, so Marla died uh, early 90s, and uh, my sense is that the round table style Shortly died thereafter. pretty much after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Chicago Magic Lounge now have the uh, the upstairs of the lounge where magicians mm-hmm. are welcome to just come hang out and watch the shows, mm-hmm. and it's it's really great. I'm really impressed with what they're doing over right. there. Now, over in the UK, uh, how much time do you say would you say you spend between the two countries, between home and 
Uh, this is my second time in America in uh, this month. Uh, each time I've spent this a, month. about a week and a half. And here we are at the end of April, by the way, as we're recording this. Yes. So 2023. It, it, it's been a really busy travel year for me. I think mm-hmm. this is my fifth time in America already this year. Uh, I... Uh, I have a performance visa, which means that I can spend as much time as I like oh, here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have a family, which means I can't spend as much time as I should here. So you <laughs> so, don't have the visa from your wife yet to, to come over? Uh, so actually, they do. Yeah, my wife and son also have a visa. No, uh, I mean, a, I mean, when oh, you yes. like a hall pass, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I, I spend a lot of time back home in the UK uh, as much as I can. But uh, on top of all the things we talked about, I'm also a performer. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, each time I've been here is for a show, except Manjo Fest. So uh, I, I seem to, to get more interested in my performance is in the US than I do in the UK right now, uh, which means I spend a lot of time sat on planes. But I love the American audiences, so I'm happy to, to do it. Well, you came over for Penn and Teller Foolish. Were you here for like a week or so at a time, or how long did, were you here, and how did you prepare for that particular TV show uh, viewers? So Foolish was during the UK lockdowns, and oh. that made it tricky. So that meant I... So I had to be in the U.S. three times during the, the U.K. lockdowns, and you weren't allowed in. As a Brit, I wasn't allowed in, even with my visa. So I had to quarantine in Mexico for two weeks really? before, uh, before each trip. It's actually mm. a little more than two weeks. It was, I think it had to be 16 days, and then I would travel to America. Mm-hmm. So what we're learning from this is that I have a very understanding wife. <laughs> I was about to say, that's for sure. So Bless I, her. I, I spent uh, over six weeks in the lockdown in the UK lockdowns uh, at an all-inclusive hotel in Mexico. So I was living my best life, uh, feeling very guilty for my Mm -hmm, wife. mm -hmm. Uh, But she was, yeah, very supportive and understanding. Um, But when you have a job like mine, you kind of sometimes need to do that kind of thing. So, yeah, I I took uh, George from the Vanishing team. George is our general manager. He Mm -hmm. came with me to Mexico for the fullest trip. And we spent two weeks just working in the daytime. We would work on Vanishing work. And then in the evenings, we would rehearse my acts. And Mm -hmm. pretty much all of the the jokes in that show were made uh, just to make George laugh while we were rehearsing. (laughs) Uh, And and because my trick is a very responsive trick. I am talking to Penn and Teller throughout the whole five minute segment and I had to be ready for, for a line for everything they gave me because mm-hmm. we needed to keep it upbeat and we know that Penn is extremely funny right. and uh, a hard person to, to go toe to toe with when it comes to comedy mm-hmm. uh, but I knew I had to be ready because the trick itself is not automatically entertaining. You know, some tricks just are feel good, good entertaining tricks. This trick was me making a maze on stage. Not a particularly exciting trick. Designed to, it was a trick designed to fool them, not to... Do you to, want to explain that? Can you briefly explain the effect uh, for people who may not have seen that? Yeah, thing? so it's a trick that was inspired by um, a trick that was released by Tenyo. Um, and it's a, the Tenyo one is a, is a small close-up trick where you're building a maze uh, in apparently a random order, and it's like a maze that you can run your, your finger around and you, the performer predicts the, the start and the end points mm-hmm. um, with this maze. And... My version of it um, uh, uses a slightly different method. I, I'm not ready to talk about what, oh, course, what my yeah, method yeah, is, yeah. but um, and th- I do that on stage in a much bigger form. And mm-hmm. Penn and Teller are building the maze with me. They choose whether to, to turn the paper over, which which order they put them in, right. whether we turn them upside down. And in the end, they uh, Penn finds Teller in the maze. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it needed to be a it needed to be a funny trick so. and interactive, as you said. It's because a lot of times, whenever Penn and Teller are involved, they are just really kind of props, if you will, in which they're kind of picking a card or you're saying yes or no. But you're having them and interacting with them so that, like you said, because Penn could be could be caustic, you know, as far as some of the jokes he's trying to throw back at you, and you had to be ready for that. Exactly. So we really rehearsed a lot, and yeah. George's job was basically to say whatever to me at whatever yeah. point, so that that way I was completely ready. So we really took that seriously for two mm-hmm. weeks. Yeah. Um, every 
every every night. Uh, Were you glad you did? I mean, did it pay off? Obviously, we got the trophy, but I mean, it paid off. Yeah, you, you don't see it in the edit so much, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of jokes that uh, are in response to to what Penn was saying and what mm-hmm. Teller was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but even though it didn't get into the edit. You can feel it, I think. You can feel yeah. that we're all having a good time. And actually, afterwards, uh, Teller in particular was really kind of touched by the trick mm. in that uh, I, I researched so much about their life in order to be able to, yeah. to, to to have those moments with them. So it was completely worth it. How long did it take from the time that you were finished and Allison's talking to you before, and they kind of conferred back and forth before they, Allison would say, okay, boys, I think we're ready. Because I know there, I've talked with some people where they said there's quite a bit of time that, that, by, that it's edited such that it only looks like it's about 60 seconds. But how long in reality did, did they confer about that? Three hours. It's not a joke. Seriously? Three hours? Yeah. So it was an unusual situation that I... They did, did about 10 minutes of, of talking about the trick, which normally cuts to, to a few seconds. Yeah. And they explained that what may have been the method to my trick. It was very vague, but I'd always decided that if they guessed it, I would if be very in a ballpark, yeah. Yeah, I was never going to fight back. And, of course, Mike Close is on an earpiece. Uh, Mike is the mm-hmm. only one who knows the method yes. uh, to my trick. Uh, and to this day, I believe, is yeah, one of Still, only, only a few mm-hmm. people that know the actual method of uh, the specifics of the method. Sure. And... I said, okay, yeah, you got me. And I went back to my room. And then I got a call when I got back to my room from Lincoln, one of the producers of the show. Mm-hmm. And he said, Andy, we made a mistake. We've lost some footage. And I said, well, I don't want to reshoot. I'm sorry. This is a trick that is kind of in the moment. Uh, and and I, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be good to, to do again. And then I thought about it. These guys have been so good to me, uh, I, I should make it easy on them. And Lincoln has become a friend over the years, and I, I didn't want to put him in a sticky situation. Right. So I said, okay, I'll be right down. Uh, but I'd already trashed my props at this point, mm. uh, not because of any other reason than... They were I, finished with them. I, it's a trick I was going to do once. Yeah, once, uh, one off. I, I always said this was a trick for one performance, um, so I trashed them. Uh, and I had to get them out of the trash, <laughs> and uh, the prop team had to remake. It was too heavy to carry home. I, uh-huh. I, I didn't need these props. Um, Something, uh, another interesting, weird thing about me. I have a zero souvenir policy in my life. I, wow. I, I tend not to keep uh, all that much stuff. Good that, for you. Um, I wish I would have started that when I was your age. I've got way too much crap. Well, that's what I figure. <laughs> One day I'm just going to look at this stuff and go, what can I do? What am I going to do? Uh, so I, I went back to the theater and uh, eventually they said, okay, we need to retake. And they spent ages setting everything back up so it mm-hmm. looked exactly like it was first time around. And you shot it like from scratch again. So we didn't have to. I was expecting to. I was ready. I was oh. set up ready to go. Yeah. Um, Allison's standing there. Uh, we're all chatting and having fun. And I actually said to Penn and Teller, I'm so impressed that you worked out the method of that trick because there's some complicated maths going on there. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Let's, let's get on with the filming. <laughs> and, and then they start talking, or at least Penn started talking. And I think you can see in my face there's a realization where I think, oh, this is not what I thought it was. This is not me re-recording the trick. This is us re-recording the ending, uh, the ending of it. And they, yeah, it, it fooled them. And what happened backstage, as far as I can gather, is that they were talking and they... And Mike Close said, no, you boys don't have it. Yeah, I don't really know. My sense is actually the other way around. That oh. They think, oh, the way we thought it worked could never work in that way. Mm. So uh, they didn't have to do that because a TV show is very expensive uh, to produce. And I imagine it's union uh, crew. And that would yeah. take a lot of money to hold them back over lunch to, right. to do an extra hour's filming. So. Yeah. Because they already had that in the can, so exactly. all they needed was the ending of that and, and, and they, your expression. That's what they're one. That was a goal right there. But but I was 
in my mind, I hadn't fooled them, and they never yeah. needed to mention it again. And I would have, you know, thought that they worked it out. So they were really kind to get me back in. Yeah. And that really, to me, shows just how real that show is. A lot of magicians think, oh, well, it's rigged because of whatever reason. But that's a real show. They, mm-hmm. they didn't have to do that. So mm-hmm. they, they were really... Really cool about it. And I know also, from what I understand, that Penn and Teller are not to know who's going to be coming. They don't want to know because they could be friends with the pe- person or people who are coming in uh, and they don't want to know what they're going to be doing. I mean, this is fresh for them. They're yeah. just sitting there, it's like, oh, you know, here comes Matt King. I mean, they weren't expecting him in the show or whatever, like that guy. It was a, yeah, when, when I came out, it was a genuine surprise. Firstly, that they know who I, knew who yeah, I was. Sure. Uh, but Penn and Teller are, uh, I don't think they'll mind me saying this, both Vanished Ink customers. Hmm. Uh, so uh, I walked out and Teller said, I just ordered something from you. <laughs> and immediately I said, I know, I just come here to deliver it to you. Uh, so <laughs> I didn't actually know he had, but it was just a fun joke. Yeah, yeah. Um, so already we had that kind of rapport. relationship yeah. and rapport. Uh, and they were so nice to perform for. I, mm-hmm. I, I actually, we were just chatting, and I said, "You want me to start?" <laughs> like, like yeah. they were just so nice. And um, so my performance starting point, actually, if I, I've only watched it back once, mm. for the show. But the, the main thing that occurred to me was that I really didn't start on a high note, uh, and that was just because we were just talking. And the performance was, "Do you want me to start?" And Teller said, "Yeah, I went, okay." <laughs> and then here I went. <laughs> so there was no like walking on stage with big energy. It was yeah. just kind of a flat start, and then I had to to build up from there. Yeah, that, that's funny. Well, it was hard to close over here. One other thing too, I know you have written several books, but one that was recent, I got to think, is a, has been a bestseller for you, and that is uh, the boy who cried magic. Yeah. How, how's that been going for you? Uh, it's our best-selling book of all time. Of all time. So I'm very proud of that. It's on its sure. third print run. Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. And these print mm-hmm. runs are, are bigger than we normally print. So it's... It, Can you share your numbers? Uh, I can't share my numbers. Okay. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's a lot. And uh, I am so shocked uh, because I just... I never really expected... Uh, people to be that interested in my work. Yeah. When, when you work with Joshua Jay, one of the, the most well-known magicians in the world, yeah. like sometimes it's easy to think, well, people are you know people love his stuff. Well, why do they want to see my stuff? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been crazy. It's it's eclipsed all numbers we've ever had, and, and I'm I'm so proud. And uh, wow, good for you. Whatever I go to conventions uh, and people have them with them, it's it's so cool. And and particularly at 4F, I've been fascinated. People have been showing me tricks from the book, which is mm-hmm. which feels so cool. That's the. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the coolest thing because I um, I think back to my days in IT and uh, and an IT term is uh, how do we scale this mm-hmm. and by that mean that means how do you take a piece of software that you've written for one or two people and make it available for a million people right uh, and that seems to be what's happened with this book it's this book has helped me scale my magic so now instead of just me performing these tricks for other people now there's a whole army of people out there performing these tricks for other people That's so, so it's cool. really scaled my magic so does that mean there'll be a part two. Yeah, I'm not thinking about it right now. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I do have it listed. The, the way my brain works is it's yeah. easiest to, to keep track of these things. So I have an outline that mm-hmm. I'm, that would be very happy with if I published. But I certainly haven't started writing on it, uh, writing it or working on it. Yeah, well, congratulations. Thank you very much. Not just for that, but I mean, golly. I mean, <laughs> not even yet 40 in the success that you've experienced. I mean, you've got uh, a great uh, future and career ahead of you as well with uh, with the kind of mind that you've got and the team behind you and with you that is uh, working as a, as a real family. And so congratulations to you and Josh, and uh, good luck with the future too. You're very kind. Thank you, Scott Wells. That means the world. Well, you've been a good friend for such a long time. So my last question that I always ask my guests, of course, since my podcast is called The Magic Word, what is your philosophy of life what is your what do you live by what's important i truly it's just all about fun 
mm-hmm. even with work, I think the whole team will tell you that I just want to have fun. I want to have a great time, create great memories, and, and surround myself with great people. And I'm very oh. lucky that I get to do that. Yep, you're a very lucky guy. And I'm sure with a wife and family, too. That's great. You're wonderful. So for the Magic Word Podcast, that was my friend and yours from Vanishing Inc. <laughs> there he is. That was Andy Gladwin. This is Scotty Out. Thank you, Andy, for being my guest this week on the Magic Word Podcast. I appreciate your thoughts and your words and your friendship. It was great. And I hope the rest of you listeners get, got something out of that as well. I certainly did. And I went back and listened to it a couple times already myself. Perhaps you might be inclined to do the same as well. I want to remind everybody about the pod letter, which if you have not yet subscribed, please do. So this way you keep up to date with who's going to be on from week to week and also some suggestions from the archives of some of the episodes you may have missed that are well worth going back and hearing again. I also encourage you that if you have the opportunity to buy anything on Amazon, be sure to go to themagicwordpodcast.com. There you will see at the bottom of every page a link where that you can just click on that graphic and that way you can go to your Amazon page, buy whatever you want, and a little bit of everything that you buy will then go to help the Magic Word Podcast through their affiliate program. So thank you, and I also thank Amazon. So remember to do that. Also, don't forget about Poe's Magic Conference coming up August 24th through the 27th in Baltimore, and go check them out at posemagicconference.com. And finally, if you have uh, the time, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the Magic Word Podcast. And if you can give us a five-star recommendation and a nice comment through iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to these podcasts, that will be great. And I thank you very much. So until next week, stay well, get booked, and remember to surround yourself with great people and have fun. This is Scotty Out. Scotty Out.